Hi, thanks for tuning into the Good Trash Honorcast. GTGC is brought to you in part by SadmenForLonelyWomen.com. SadmenForLonelyWomen.com, your one-stop shop source for all of your satire, pop culture news, and comedy needs. Good Trash Honorcast is also brought to you in part through the participation of listeners like you. For more information, go to Patreon.com forward slash GTGC. That's Patreon.com forward slash GTGC. We got a Black Hawk down. We got a Black Hawk down. Down, 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 down. Good trash genre cast. So, dead? That's fine. How about alive? Hmm? You wanna know what got these scars? Can you spell it? D J A N G. The D is silent. I have got to give me one of these. Luke, you're a wolf. Oh. What are these? What are you doing with these? Okay, I get it. Who gave you these? Who taught you about these? Learned it from you, okay? I murdered for wanting you! Leads. We can kill it. It's your last chance to walk away. Are you kidding? It's five against one. It's two against one. How do you figure? Once I take out the leader, which is you, I'll have to contend with one or two enthusiastic wingmen. The last two guys, I always win. Are you, uh, you've done this before? It's getting late. Remember, you wanted this. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast, where a bunch of people gather around the table and we talk about the films that you never discuss in a film studies course. This week's film is Aladdin, a documentary about thermoses and how long they keep coffee hot. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> this is a thermos brand! I'm so what? It is. It is. <laughs> Or maybe something else. Ladies and gentlemen, this will be the last episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast, because I don't think we're ever going to get any better than that. That's it. And uh, before we get to that and all the spoilerific spoiler reaches about how long and what it takes as far, as far as insulation is concerned to keep coffee hot, we have to identify the disembodied voices speaking to your ears right now. Across the table, if you would, sir, what is your name? I am Arthur Gordon, and Dalton, Dalton, he's our man. If he can't do it, great! <laughs> Pretty That's much par for the course. Uh, to my right, sir, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and uh, being me is pretty great. Uh, small trade-off. You get infinite cosmic power, itty-bitty living space. I've been there. It's true. To my left, ma'am, if you would. My name's Alexander Bohannon, and say goodbye to Prince Abubu. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. And to the extreme left, sir, if you would. 10,000 years of podcast. Don't give you a crick in the neck. That's true. And what's your name? What, he... <laughs> Crick in the... Oh, I just trying to get it. Crick in the neck. My name's Caleb Masters. My name's Dustin Sells, and this show's off the rails so much that I'm so ticked off, I'm molting. And I'm so glad to be talking with you all about uh, Disney's Aladdin, which may or may not have anything to do with thermoses, although that lamp could be doubled and uh, repurposed. As a thermos. Well, you got that uh, coffee maker hookah combo. No, you could do that. <laughs> you make some fries out of it, too. Yeah, Julian fries. Uh, man, somebody get me a coffee bong. Stat. <laughs> Smoking a pancake. <laughs> Cigarette and a flapjack. Oh. Cigarette and a waffle. <laughs> All righty. We're going to talk about this film. Now, we got a warning, dear listener. This is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and that means there are going to be spoilerific spoilerages. And we are going to spoil much of this film, but that will not Although happen. I feel like most podcast listeners are between the ages of 18 and 35, and I'm pretty sure everyone between the ages of 18 and 35 has seen Aladdin. I so. think you might say even 8 and 35. Yeah. I think uh, if it's if it's kind of like programmed into every American child's genetic code, I'd, I'd say like in, in that... Which in explains a, uh, why we're still so fucking racist in 2015. Well, there you go. <laughs> Ouch. Shots fired early on. And so we're so glad to be talking about that. The spoilers will not happen until after a synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema and our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. But once we get down to business, dear listener, spoilers are definitely on the table and you have now been warned if for some reason you've been living inside a magic lamp for 10,000 years and haven't seen this film. So now you've been warned. Let's go ahead and get that synopsis. 
from the voice of the cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon himself, if you would, sir. When a street urchin vies for the love of a beautiful princess, he uses a genie's magic power to make himself off as a prince in order to marry her. Well, I guess, yeah, accurate. That's it. It just, I guess it just doesn't capture the full cultural touchstone that is Disney's Aladdin. Like, there's no, no one at this point cares about the plot, I'd say. Arthur, your voice makes this movie sound like a totally different movie. Yes, it does. It It does. It sounds a little creepy. And let's be honest, guys, the trailer kind of told you the entire plot. So, like Alex said, Oh, such a bad trailer. And let's go ahead and give those quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. I begin with you, Mr. Caleb Masters. What have you to say? This is a very, oh, this is a tricky movie. Uh, admittedly, okay. I this was my favorite one as a kid, Aladdin. I mean, come on, you're a boy. There's a lot of uh, princesses and marriages and dwarves and stuff. That's all cute girly stuff. But as a boy, you're like, yeah, Aladdin. The main character's a boy, which in hindsight is totally not true. But as a you know, five, yeah, six no, year when old, you're like seven years old, yeah, I get it. Man. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you're you're kind of looking at it. So. Uh, I've grown up. I watched it again in college, and I, I had this feeling. I was like, hmm, I like this a lot still, but I, I feel like there could be some issues here. And then I got to, to junior, senior year of college where I studied interesting things like Orientalism and things like that um, and actually got more... Uh, the, the fetishization of the exotic, yeah. Yeah. So I've got a lot of nostalgia for the, the, the characters in this movie mm-hmm. and for the soundtrack. And by and large, I think those two things especially still stand very, very strong. Ain't Never Had a Friend Like Me, Prince Ali, and A Whole New World. Those are all damn good musical numbers. Like, some of the best musical numbers. Oh, A Whole New World's one of the best Disney I still got ever. the feels. I, yeah, it's man. It's so great. And, and the sequence yeah. where they're flying around the carpet yeah. and they go all over the world, that's beautiful. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was watching Aladdin with, with my lady friend, and um, yeah, A Whole New World comes on. It's just like, yeah, I'm fucking feeling this right now. It's great. I love it. And it's infinitely hummable. And it, it's great. It's fantastic. Genie and Yago, especially, I still think are two of the most memorable pieces of comedic uh, substance in any of the Disney movies by a lot. Uh, that said, rewatching this as a more well studied, uh, informed adult kind of confirmed those vague suspicions I had that this movie is extremely racist. It's a very, it's a misogynist piece of cinema, and I can't say that whenever I eventually do have kids, if I have kids one day, I will show this to them. If if so, it'll be with a great deal of. Let's pause. All right, guys, this is not okay. I, I this movie is very problematic, and oh yeah, and uh, my I, children I, did see this film, and I have a significant amount of regret. I, I no seriously, I understand. I, I, I'm I'm serious. I'm like this. The the ideas in this movie, if you watch this, a child has t- totally paint this unrealistic worldview of a very specific race and of gender uh, gender roles. So I, it's problematic. Uh, that's about all I got to say about the movie, though. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what say you in terms of review? Of review? I echo the sentiment of Mr. Masters in terms of like the racial, essentially caricatures of a lot of the just kind of generic like crowd filler people in this film, Ugh. and a lot of the um, just like the ethnic stereotyping in this movie. Um, I do feel like this film does have merit for n- nothing more than just the the score and the like how this is just a sheer uh, this is a musical mm-hmm. that has just been animated i mean this well, as with most uh films of the, the Disney Renaissance right. era of like, what, 88 to 98? Is right, that what they, and, they... and I'm going to talk about uh, the interesting stuff about the score and like kind of an auteurist reading about the score. Um, but I do enjoy it for those reasons, and it's infinitely quotable. Robin Williams' performance is absolutely fantastic. This man is, <laughs> he just he just rocks it, and he really... 16 hours of voiceover they had from Robin. Oh my gosh. 16 hours. It's insane. Um, and the fact that he, the fact that he also becomes like the driving caricature of this film whenever, like, isn't it 30 minutes before we even see the genie? Yeah, they're about. Yeah. So we don't get to see genie until that moment. And what other film is like, yeah, we're so sold on this secondary minor character. And this is like the selling point of this entire film, you know, rest in peace, Robin, Whenever oh. he uh, was on the island and was talking about, oh, what do you want, Jeannie? Freedom. I, I actually cried uh. a little bit whenever I saw that. I was just, oh, because the scene at the end, yeah, and then the, I didn't realize that his attire in that ending scene was an homage to one of his early Disney roles, like what he's wearing with the goofy hat and the, the Hawaiian shirt. 
like mm-hmm. is an homage to a real live action Robin Williams film that he did. Um, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea what you're yeah. talking about. Anyway, I'll I'll get some more into. I'm our, I'm, I'm I'm misty though. So but I'm no, no, really, it, yeah. it, Robin's performance is incredible. I think the rest of the action is is amazing, and the animation still holds up even after a thorough remastering by Disney and company. So um, I'd say double thumbs up, despite you know serious trepidations about racism and misogyny. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohan and Mister Arthur Gordon. What do you have to say? I'd probably second Alex. I mean, I love this movie a lot. I know it's problematic, but it's still the music's beautiful, the animation's beautiful. It's it's still a lot of fun. It moves at a great beat, a, a lot quicker than I remember it, it moving. I got to the halfway point and didn't even feel like it had been, you know, forty five minutes or whatever. And so I I solidly, I mean, this movie was near and dear to my heart. I saw it in theaters. I had it on VHS and DVD. And so it's something that's always been with me and something I, I can quote to this day and go along with and sing all the songs. And I still pick up on new things and laugh at different jokes in and, and the songs. And so I, I love it a lot. And so it's, it's near and dear to my heart. Very good, very good. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you have to say? Uh, yeah, Arthur and Alex have already touched on this, but uh, something we talk about on the show a lot is, is the idea that you can find a film problematic. You can have strong disagreeing opinions about things that it does and still like it. And I think Aladdin really does fit firmly in that category. Um, I don't think it works as well for me as some other Disney films do. Um, I think there are Disney films that, you know, as an adult still work really well. Um, I think Aladdin works overall, but yeah, going back and viewing it as adult, as an adult, I don't, I think Robin Williams is the most memorable thing about this, and Gilbert Godfrey coming in as a close second. Uh, they're both hilarious. I mean, they're fantastic. The songs are great, but the movie as a whole doesn't work that well. It does have some great songs in it, yes. I mean, as, as Caleb mentioned, A Whole New World, A Friend Like Me, Prince Ali, all three of those are really strong songs, but that's about it. I, I would agree with, with Arthur and Alex, though, that this you can enjoy Aladdin, despite the numerous problems that it has. Um, for me, I don't enjoy it uh, as much now as I did when I was a child, but uh, I think overall it still works fairly well. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I saw this film in theaters upon its release, and I played the uh, Super Nintendo video game often. Good game. Fighting that snake. That game was hard. Fighting that, that game was crazy hard. Those, those Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, Disney games are hard as fuck. Lion King is impossible. Do not impossible. Do not sleep on Lion King, because that shit will roll on you. That got really weird for a second. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what happened just now. Wish we like shared that real life. We all just had that. Yeah. I think the music's great. I think Robin Williams and Gilbert Godfrey's performances are great. I think again, Whole New World is just a great song. That's I think beautiful. the line "Do you trust me?" is moving and always is. And uh, so there's all those things working out for it, but it's also again very, very politically problematic. It goes in the King Kong folder, which is a film about you know interracial marriage and the yeah. fear thereof. That's a tough. Oh man, that's that's it, a good comparison. You know, it's though. really funny. It's still really fun though, and I, I like was, it. Uh, again, you sort of have to like. I, I want to make it PG-13 in some ways, so you can like guide a small child and say, "Listen, this is not how we think about people from the Arabian Peninsula, please." Mm-hmm. And uh, this is you know it, it's barbaric, but fine. I mean, no. uh, it's it's barbaric. Barbaric, but it's home is one of the first lines in this film. Are you fucking kidding me, Disney? It's troubling. And so even though I'm troubled, I still like it a lot. It's, it's still very much an entertaining watch. And again, I get misty about Robin Williams at all times. And so that's all fantastic and fun. There you go, dear listener. You now know our biases. They're kind of, ah, we like it, but we're not sure we should. And uh, we'll say more about that as we move on into analysis. I go to you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What analysis do you bring? Okay, let's just fucking get to it, shall we? This movie is racist, Period. End of story. You cannot defend this film. It is the most ridiculously obscene racist thing Disney has produced since Song of the South. It is that fucked up. And this is coming out, what, ten years? Nine years before 9-11? We don't even have a reason to be fucking racially charged with the Arabic world. Are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. Yes, Yes, terrorism was a thing that already existed. Islamic extremism existed in 1992. Had not really affected America to a degree. Um, so it's, it's, it's racist, not, not in that like retributional racism that we get in like 2001 to 2004 or 5, and we're still experiencing uh, a bit of to this day. Um, it's racist in that way that uh, even Mulan's a little racist. Mulan's a little bit more love lettery to China, but it's still racist in that way that it's 
just glorifying exoticism, as as uh, I mentioned when Caleb was giving his brief review. Uh, now, Caleb, I know you also have some very strong feelings about the, the racism of this film. But yeah. So I'm going to kick to you in just one second. To me, one of the most glaring things, other than the line in the opening song, it's barbaric, but it's home. When you think about the characters of this film, the leads are Jasmine and Aladdin, who are fucking white with brown shading on them. They have Anglican features and have brown shading. Every other single character in this film is portrayed as a buffoon, evil, ugly, or or um, just generally not particularly likable. And they all have very large Arabic and slash Persian uh, feature noses. Uh, their, their features are much more ethnic, uh, whereas Jasmine and uh, Aladdin are white. And then they went ahead and shaded it in with brown. Uh, but then Jafar, who is this evil guy who cares about nothing but power, has this gigantic schnoz. Uh, I wouldn't say it reaches caricature levels, but it is significant in how much larger it is in proportion to our, our lead's noses. Uh, Jasmine's dad, who who is not a character to be taken seriously, is named Raja, which... What, India and Arabia are not the same thing, Disney. I don't... There are no tigers. There are no tigers in the Arabian Peninsula. The fuck? That's a Sumatran Arabian tiger. Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I think I that's just... more, that's a, that'd be more of a criticism of rich people, I think, than uh, the race thing. I, I don't know. I feel like it comes back to this idea that everything exotic is what we want. Oh, like, oh, that's exotic. It must be uh, Arabic. Uh, what the... F- Jesus H. What? Are you, are you kidding me? And, and this is something that, after 9-11... You don't need to know this about me, listener, but I feel like it bears mentioning. Um, and this isn't me trying to be like, uh, I've got black friends, so I can say stuff. I- it bears mentioning that uh, my father's sister. Everyone knows you don't have any friends at all. So I know. Yeah. It bears mentioning that my father, my, my birth father's sister, uh, married a man from Kuwait. My cousins are uh, of Iranian descent. A man from Kuwait, originally from Iran. My cousins are of Iranian descent. So around 2002, even at 12 years old, I got real, real testy with shit that was racist and made generalizations of people uh, from the Arabic world, from the Middle East. I, I, I'm touchy with it. it I, I've, got a, I, I've got a personal like tick with it. It bothers me. Dalton's got a trigger, y'all. I do. I, I, and I, I don't normally, most things don't bother me that much, personally. They bother me on an intellectual and on a humanitarian level, but on a personal level, they don't really bother me that much. But fucking Aladdin... This is a film I was shown so many times as a child, and you go back and watch it, and you realize, what are we doing showing this to children? This is a children's film, and we're teaching them that it's okay to oogle and ogle at people from different countries and of different cultural and historical backgrounds. Are you fucking kidding me? Well, it's fetishization at that point. It is, and as, as we mentioned, the, the, the fetishization or the... Um, there's another word I used earlier that I forgot because I'm so mad, but this idea that... Any- <laughs> Objectification? Uh, maybe. The, the, just that the, the exotic as something that is entertaining, which, don't be wrong, like, you can send James Bond to Macau and it's, it's cool, but there's a way to do it that isn't so blatantly racist. He just happens to be in Istanbul because he's a spy and there's nothing in there that is, it makes a caricature of Turkey. Uh, or makes a, a caricature of, of the history of that world. It's just James Bond's riding a dirt bike across rooftops, and they're hap- they happen to be in Istanbul. You can show exotic locations and be like, man, aren't these places cool, without it being racist. And I think that's something that I'm, I'm troubled by. Now, Caleb, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I know I ran on and on and on. There was something you, you were about to say. I, I, wanna, I mean, there's a few other things I think that are worth pointing out about this movie. When now, let's come... go ahead and make that transition then to your analysis, Caleb. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to belabor the point, but I mean, something to take into consideration is the people voicing the movie. Go look. There's not a single Middle, uh, Middle Eastern person mm-hmm. or anyone of Arab descent at, at all. Yeah. voicing any of these characters. It's all... This is this is blackface in animation. There's not a single person, at least Absolutely. in the, the major characters in the film. Yeah, consider the fact that the uh, first opening gentleman telling his story, that's Robin Williams Robin portraying Williams. that yeah. character um, and portraying it kind of in that stereotypical kind well, of... And, and Robin Williams, 10,000 years, I'll give you such a crick in the neck. Like, come on, this is Jewish. Robin, Robin... And I'm wrong. I miss Robin. And there are many moments watching this film that brought a tear to my eye. But Robin did that a lot. Robin would often do a stereotypical, uh, you know, old Jewish man and was one of his characters just as a voice. Which, I'm wrong, is a fun voice to do, but that doesn't mean it's okay. Like, that doesn't make it okay. You can do... 
I think the line is you can do a Woody Allen impression, you can't do a impression of a Jewish person. I think that's where the line is. Yeah, whenever it's not so much a, ca- a person, caricature of a person, yes. but whenever it's an ethnic racial stereotype. Y- exactly. But yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right, Caleb. Well, I, I just I think if you're going to talk about about the ethnicity in the movie, it, this is a massive case of uh, Orientalism. Something that I think, uh, which uh, for listeners out there, Orientalism is the imitation or depiction of aspects of the Middle East, South Asia, or African and East East Asian cultures. Yeah, something we've done a lot in Hollywood. And you mentioned a lot of great examples, but this is not a dead thing, people. This is something that We're still, still, doing still happens. We're still doing it, and I think at large, especially you mentioning Walt, Robin Williams, I still think it's a studio issue because they could have. They don't have to use that bit of Robert Williams' performance, you know, the, the the old Jewish stereotype. And this leads to something, another issue that I know you, you were really wanting to talk about, Caleb, is, is the death of voice acting in yeah. blockbuster yeah. animation filmmaking. It's precisely. So, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, we'll go ahead and have my analysis here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list off some names here for you. And tell me how many of these people you know. So, Frank Welker, Jody Benson, Rob Paulson, Tara Strong, Peter Cullen, Steve Bloom, John DiMaggio. Now the two, you're, everyone at this table is going to get. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. There's two more I want to list off. Now, Nolan North and Troy Baker. Are those your next two? No, but okay. that's. I almost listed them. Uh, those people are very relevant. I'm going well, to talk, talk about them. Too. I know. I know DiMaggio and Bloom. Go ahead. These two though are pretty iconic. But I, I guarantee you, most people don't know these people do these voices. Kevin Conroy. Yeah, my man. And the only person on here who is a name that you would recognize because of Star Wars, Mark, Mark Hamill. Hamill. But I guarantee you, you probably don't know Mark Hamill's voice when you hear it. Those are some of the biggest names in voice acting. Steve Bloom, if you've watched a cartoon with Wolverine in it, you know who Steve Bloom is. Anytime, anytime Wolverine has been played in a video game or a movie it's or Steve a TV, Bloom. it's Steve Bloom and it's animated in the last 10 years. Uh, hands down. Steve Bloom. Uh, Spike from uh, Cowboy Bebop. From one of Cowboy his Bebop. Roles. He did a lot of work in Digimon, which I'm a big fan of, by the way. So, yeah, these are these are, these are people who all like. If you're a nerd, you probably know some of these names. These are prolific voice actors. Rob Paulson, Pinky in the Brain. Yeah. I mean, this guy, Inspector Gadget. I mean, yeah. come on. But Huge these are not actors. names that the general public probably. These is are, no, with. the average person has no idea who these people are. And I, I really want to talk about these people because they have created some of the most iconic sounds and voices in pop culture. And most people, the average Joe, has not heard of them. Have no clue who these people are. But you know what? kind of jobs these people used to get. They used to the get... The Little Mermaid, the little, Beauty and the Beast. Exactly. They used to get classics, huge, huge movies that made Hollywood pick. But no one really caps, caught on to that because they weren't names before they did the role. Mm-hmm. And and so you can't... It's, it's like retroactive. You, 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 always, you always cling on to what you know, not what you don't know. So unless you're really into voice acting, you probably didn't like look up the credits and be like, who voice acted that? Yeah. XYZ. But now... But now, see, Robin Williams being cast as a character... And Aladdin was really the beginning of the end of the career and the field of voice acting, particularly in Hollywood. And I, I would I would even go as far as to say Robin Williams and Gilbert Godfrey. And Gilbert Godfrey. Who was not as much of a household name as no, Robin, but still but he, very his, well known. Most of his career, now Gilbert Godfrey is a good point. I, I actually almost included my initial listing because since Aladdin, he's almost done no work other than voice acting. Yeah. Go look at his credits. Well, uh, he, I mean, he's still working comic. Uh, he's yeah. still working comic. But I mean, as far as like in TV and film... Mm-hmm. Video gaming, a whole lot of things. So, damn Affleck duck. Now, here's what's funny. I, I'll go into a, a quick little history lesson. I don't want to belabor the point, but the, this was really the first time they had to cast a big Hollywood name as a as a as a role uh, in, Robin in Williams, an animated film. An animated film, and they had to actually pitch the idea of doing Genie to Robin Williams before he accepted the role. And then, here's what's really ironic about the whole bit: Robin Williams did not want to be credited. Robin Williams did not want to be Genie was not supposed to be included in any of the marketing material. And he got paid 450k, which was or, or sorry 45k, which was the minimum requirements from that SAG, uh, the, the Screen the, Actors Guild. Award. It was the, min- the yeah, the, Guild. the the SAG minimum requirement for voice work. Yes, for, so for a film. He was supposed. This was supposed to be ultra. He low wanted key. to. He wanted to play it low key because Robin Williams, being the minch that he is, did not or was rather I should say, did not want to take from the hard work that voice actors do. Exactly. But that was the marketing of the film. Well, what happened was Disney backed up. They actually, before that was in his contract before yep. he signed on. And Disney, told, obviously, go watch the trailers. They backpedaled it. The first voice you hear in the trailer that we played in last week's episode, I was listening for that, is Genie. Uh, he was, and he's, you look at the, the cover art, he's 
biggest thing on the cover. Uh, and there was actually a really bitter falling out between Disney and Williams uh, until about eight years later when there's a public apology. Uh, and he from did Disney. go on to voice Genie and direct a DVD sequel. No, 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 and no, no, television no. Shows. Only one. He only did uh, The Prince yeah. of Thieves, which was the third one. He did not do the second one. He didn't one. do the second one. I no, no, no. Okay. no. They had another actor come and do that. Really? Yeah. Um, See, I didn't know that. So now, uh, what I want to get into, this is, again, a little more of a PSA or history lesson, though. Williams inevitably uh, became a big draw, uh, you know, was the huge draw for the film. That's the only actor anyone, I mean, him and Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah, the rest are working voice actors. Yeah, no one knows who those people are. No yeah. one knows who any of the cast members of The Little Mermaid are. Uh, so, and this is a trend that, obviously, Disney being the market leader, other companies ripped this off. They, they took that idea and they well, ran with it. Well, you take if you look at the cast of Aladdin, and then you look at the cast of Disney's big release this year, Inside Out. Oh, yeah. Amy Poehler, Louis Black. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bill Hader, good God. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that's a great segue for I want to talk about Pixar a little bit, because Pixar then launched in 1994, uh, with, or 95, with Toy Story, which was an exclusively all-star cast featuring the he- Tim Allen at the time was really big, and Tom Hanks. Who is still huge. Oh, Tom Hanks is still huge, yeah. Um, other, other, and then the rivals... Tim, yeah, Tim Allen was still doing Home Improvement at the time. Yeah, he, he was a big Which show. was one of the biggest sitcoms on television I love at the Home time. I I'm not going to lie, guys. Yeah, I kinda gross. Like Keep going. Oh, whatever, shut up. Uh, other, other major animation studios, including DreamWorks, though, ran with the idea with their first two films, Ants, which start, had names like Christopher Walken, Jennifer Lopez, Sylvester Stallone. Woody Allen. And Woody Allen, correct. It was really bizarre. I didn't realize that until I researched it. It's hilarious. Uh, the Prince of Egypt, featuring Val Kilmer, Jeff Goldblum, Michelle Pfeiffer. Where does this leave classically trained voice actors? Well, in the years since, they uh, during the 90s, they all moved over uh, to anime, which was a huge draw when the Japanese invasion in the 90s, when you saw things like Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! Yu-Gi-Oh! and Dragon Ball Z get really huge, and then every network, Cartoon Network, voice actors, that was their bread and butter for a long time. But recently, budgets on those productions in the 2000s have gotten slashed. And you know what that means? They can't afford to pay their voice actors the minimum requirements from those unions. Yeah. They can't, get, they can't afford to pay the minimum requirements from the actor unions. Therefore, that leaves them with one or two possibilities. There's a, a lot of actors are picking up doing what's called ADR. Rolls in uh, ADR, additional dialogue recording. That leaves voice actors with one field, one major field left to go in, and that is video gaming in the 2000s. Yep. But here's my, here's my point with all this, is that over the last, since the beginning, since Robin Williams, this started a trend. And, and video, game is, video games, outside of what I just talked about getting underpaid, for where, where they sit in a booth for like 12 hours a day and scream their lungs out doing the ah, mm, ah, all that stuff. Yeah. They're getting screwed. And here's the thing. It's hard work. They're also getting pushed by other big actors. Other Hollywood actors are coming into video games now and doing the same thing they did with movies. And it's not yep. those actors' fault. That's just... It comes down to marketing. It comes yep. down to uh, to name recognition. And it's a real travesty because there is a fine art to people who have trained their entire careers to do multiple voices. And yeah, good, voice voice acting is real acting. Yeah. And, and a good voice actor, you're not going to recognize their voice because they do so many different Because voices. you shouldn't recognize their voice. Exactly. Um, so, I, again, I just want to give some real credit. Like I said, it's more of a PSA. I just think... Pay attention to the people who voice your, your cartoons and your TV. These people work very, very hard, and they get – because you don't ever see their face on the screen, nor will you ever because they don't want to be a real actor. They just want to do voices. They deserve just as much credit as anyone else and currently are having to fight to get paid decent salaries in video gaming. So I don't know. I, blame Rob, I don't blame Robin Williams, but I do blame the Hollywood marketing machine. That's all I got to say. I really appreciate that industrial analysis. Uh, let's move on to Miss Alexandra Bohannon. Today we're going to talk auteurism with the two lyricists for this film, Howard Ashman and Tim Rice. But first, one needs to discuss background about these composers in the Disney animation renaissance. Of course, to remind you, in film criticism, auteur theory holds that a film reflects the director's personal creative vision uh, as if they were the primary auteur. Um, And so I'm using this to talk about not just directors, but also lyricists in terms of film uh, music composing. Ashman... Ashman worked on the now absolutely influential Little Mermaid, the starting place for the Renaissance, with the composer most well-known Disney Renaissance films, Alan Menken. Ashman was a notable force in the world of Broadway, having collaborated with Menken on the well-known stage and film versions of Little Shop of Horrors, among other other, um, productions. 
Ashman and Mencken worked together on Little Mermaid after Oliver and Company, The Little Mermaid being the first fairy tale produced by Disney in 30 years. After the critical success of Little Mermaid, Ashman and Mencken went, worked on the struggling production of Beauty and the Beast, which originally was an animated non-musical film, but Disney begged them to come onto the project because it needed some revitalization. During the Renaissance, Ashman learned he was HIV positive, and it progressed to AIDS quickly. Mencken and Ashman finished working on Beauty and the Beast, and worked on a significant portion of Aladdin's musical composition during this time. Ashman was the original pitchman for the concept of Aladdin to Disney. However, Howard Ashman died due to AIDS complications in 1991 before Aladdin was fully completed, and eight months before the release of Beauty and the Beast. If you notice that, uh, if you notice, Beauty and the Beast is dedicated to Howard Ashman, to our friend Howard, who gave the mermaid her voice and a beast his soul. We will be forever grateful, Howard Ashman, 1950-1991. I didn't realize this as a person born in 1991. Uh, after Ashman passed away, Tim Rice was pulled in on the project. Rice was also a well is and was a well-known Broadway musical lyricist, having worked on musicals with Andrew Lloyd Webber, like Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat and Jesus Christ Superstar. Rice went on to work on The Lion King, which was the next film in the D- Disney Renaissance, and he worked on that with Sir Elton John in 1994. So in terms of composition of the musical numbers, Ashman wrote the controversial Arabian Nights, which originally had lyrics that were um, more racist than, than what we have. I actually don't think we talked about those original lyrics. Yeah, the, uh, the uh, theatrical release had even more racist lyrics I'm that they to... toned down for the VHS release. Where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. Yes. And then, then what? They, yeah. Yep. So the original lyrics were, they cut off the ear if you don't like your face. And then it said, it's barbaric, but then it's home. That's why that makes a lot more sense there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So so the issue there was the American Anti-Discrimination Committee um, lobbied them to change that, and it was subsequently changed for post-theatrical releases. Um, so Ashman wrote the controversial Arabian Nights, uh, the lyrics to it, A Friend Like Me and Prince Ali. Fans of Disney trivia may be familiar with Proud of Your Boy, which was a song that Aladdin sings to his mother in the original cut of the film, which had an Aladdin's mother, for one thing. Um, it was removed... Except for Disney hates your mother, so she must die. <laughs> right. So obviously it was removed, but it was put back into the score and the the lyrical book for the stage adaptation of Aladdin, which was produced for ni- uh, 2011. So Rice's contributions to the film are One Jump, which uh, replaced an apparently gooey Ashman musical number introduction to Aladdin called You Can Count On Me. Then Rice also wrote A Whole New World, and then the Jafar song, Prince Ali Reprise. This, uh, the Prince Ali Reprise reprise also replaced an original Ashman piece where Jafar sung the bad guy musical number called Humiliate the Boy. However, the, cre- uh, the reprise and not the original number was after some serious studio-, studio intervention, which is why Jafar doesn't have a large-scale bad guy number similar to Scars in The Lion King. So after this history lesson, hope you've enjoyed yourselves, uh, both lyricists had three songs apiece, and each lyricist had overall different thematic takes to their pieces. One can see this clearly by comparing each lyricist's thematic solo work before and after Aladdin. So Ashman can be compared to The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. And then, then uh, Rice can be compared to The Lion King. Ashman's Arabian Nights is very similar in style to Belle, which is essentially the, which is the opening number of Beauty and the Beast, where we're essentially learning the, the original world that the main character exists in, the status quo. Well, while Rice's Circle of Life in The Lion King can operate similarly and is that it introduces us to the world, it doesn't have that explicit storytelling function like Arabian Nights and Belle operate in, on both are which uh, Ashman compositions. Ashman's A Friend Like Me is similar in style and composition to Be Our Guest from Beauty and the Beast, a big stage number introducing the hero to supernatural or surprising plot devices. Rice's work in The Lion King does not need a similar number, as our hero already exists within the world of the film, plus there's no supernatural elements at work needing such explanation. Prince Ali also exists in an explicit storytelling function, like Ashman's other works, as I just previously described. 
Rice's songs, One Jump and A Whole New World, do not fulfill the same function that Ashman's do. Like his subsequent songs in The Lion King, he operates from the tone and mood of the world of the film. No one is saying, Jasmine and I are declaring our love together on a magic carpet, woohoo. Nor is Aladdin saying his name or any kind of setup in these songs. No one's saying, this is what we're doing. They're just doing it. These type of songs can exist more for character development, like The Circle of Life and Hakuna Matata. Even you, if you... This also can go for Can You Feel the Love Tonight, the most similar love song to A Whole New World out of the films discussed because the male and female sing a love duet, neither of whom are being, are being sung about like in Beauty and the Beast, sung by Angela Lansbury, like the song Beauty and the Beast, or Kiss the Girl and the Little Mermaid. Both, both the mood development is Rice's pr- primary modus operandi versus Ashman's story-propelling modus operandi. Like, that's where Rice operates out of it versus Ashman's style of uh, lyric composition. Probably what makes Adam such an interesting in- case study in musical composition due to the, the nature of the project and Ashman's untimely death. We get to see two different kinds of lyrical composition styles and themes created. The blending of them is what I think makes Aladdin unique, and the bridging exists between late 1980s Disney Renaissance film and the 1990s, which then leads to the 2000s and 2010s musical films like Frozen that we experience today. Excellent. You've just shown me a whole new world when it comes to uh, auteur analysis. Oh! Boo! <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. Uh, I want to just cite and speak a little bit about one Sigmund Freud when it comes to analysis with this particular film. Um, and I want to talk about the, uh, the tripartite structure of the subject. Uh, with regard to Freud, which is the id, the ego, and the superego, and the iago. Wait, no, just kidding. Um, that doesn't actually exist. Thank you very much for that joke, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Moving right along. Um, in the film, we see Aladdin wrestling with issues of the id, ego, and superego. Now, the id is the swirling, nameless, wordless, languageless uh, desires of the human being. Um, this is the fighting and screwing parts of what makes us human. And then there is the ego, which is the actual self that's expressed to the rest of society. Then there is a superego, if you want to imagine a house, basement, first level, and the attic. In the attic, we have not necessarily something that comes from the self, but that, that is imposed upon the self, which is uh, the superstructure of... Uh, uh, well, I don't want to use the term superstructure because it brings in Marxist analysis, but rather the uh, the imposed uh, situation um, of the self based on the world and language and the way uh, culture sort of like influences the person. I'm thinking a lot of... Uh, someone who followed Sigmund Freud, which is one um, Jacques Lacan. And uh, Lacan talked a lot about the nom de pair. Wait, I'm sorry, who? Jacques Lacan. Gone! <laughs> Lacan, as it turns out. But, uh, yes, that this idea of uh, your, 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 yourself is inscribed by language and by culture. And so we find Aladdin, who is, in some ways, very much ruled by the superego as the film begins when he steals bread to eat because you got to steal to eat you got to live to, you know you got to eat to live etc as he sings his song um, he gives his bread to the children when we finally find him going to the cave of wonders we find him struggling with the, just again selfish desires to steal the gold uh, take what needs to be done and the cave of wonders itself sort of functions as a superego with the declaration of infidels it is in this case religiously inscribed by the Quran because of the context of the film and he is wrestling again with uh, sort of the inscribed mores and laws and ethics of the culture around him yet again wanting to be self-serving in some way and then he unleashes the id that's right Robin Williams genie is an unleashed id it is omniscient cosmic powers with an itty-bitty living space. And so now he has to figure out how he's going to negotiate this life. And for the most part, after the Cave of Wonders, Aladdin is a far less nice guy than he was before. The, the traumatic incident um, for him, the uh, the moment of rupture, if you want to use uh, Freudian terms, is his encounter in the Cave of Wonders. And then he has to know what he, he's got to figure out what he's going to do. 
And what he wants to do is like completely submit himself to the idiot. He wants to lie. He wants to uh, make sure he gets the girl, which again is like the sexual drive that is part of the id, and do whatever it takes in order for that deal to be sealed, so to speak. And as time goes on, he finally sort of negotiates uh, his subject, his self, his ego, with the superego. And comes to some point where he is able to say, okay, I have these libidinal desires for wealth, for power, for jasmine, etc. And yet still sort of function within the society that he's surrounded by. And so the film is fundamentally a, a dealing with neuroses, if you want to, again, couch it in Freudian terms. And so um, as far as analysis goes, this is probably pretty short compared to what we've talked about so far. But it is absolutely a case study in that Freudian idea of the tripartite structure of the self. And so I find that to be very interesting, and I find all the analysis that we've brought so far to be extraordinarily fascinating. I thank you all, dear co-hosts, for that. But we now come to the part of the show where we must render a verdict. We must decide whether this film and its racism and its amazing performances and musical numbers belongs on the shelf or in the trash. I go to you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you have to say? Shelf or trash? And based on that subject um, and that determination, what is your else or your instead? Shelf it. I love this movie, so I'm going to shelf it. I know it's problematic, but I love it. So sometimes that just happens. Um, at this point, Disney was firing on all cylinders and would peak with Lion King. Uh, I love it. And I think a lot of it, and I think a lot of it's a lot of fun still. I give it five bodyguard tigers turned into kittens out of five. I enjoy it quite a bit. Else, you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, Chronicle, Jumanji, and Jim Carrey's The Mask. Wait, why Chronicle? Uh, because a kid comes over, uh, a kid discovers something that gives him power beyond belief. In a cave. Okay. Yeah. All right, there yeah. it is. There's the, there's the Nicely done. Yeah. And that's what I would put on my, uh, that's what I would say else with Aladdin. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you have to say? The, some of these musical numbers legitimately bring tears to my eyes. So on that principle, I have to give it a shelf. Caleb, do you trust me? Uh, else, any Miyazaki movie from Studio Ghibli, any at all, pick one, Spirit Away, Howl's Moving Castle, um... My, my neighbor Totoro, anyone, uh, Grave of Fire Flies, any one of them, watch them. Because uh, while watching this, I was reminded how much I love animation and how I don't get around to as much as I want to. And I think Studio Ghibli is the Japanese Disney, and I think they do have a hell of a better job than Disney does at uh, exploring a lot of the, the same themes. Um, secondly, if you are going to stick with the classic Disney, Hercules, Mulan, Lion King. Uh, lastly, uh, and this is something I seriously think that people should check out they probably haven't heard about, go check out or read well, thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you have to say? Shelver trash? Else or instead? You can like a movie and not you can like a movie and not think it belongs on the shelf, and that's where I'm gonna go with Aladdin. Um, I do like it. I think Rob Williams' performance is a lot of fun. I think the songs are good, but I cannot in good conscience put it on the shelf. Instead, I would recommend you watch uh, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad or Jason the Argonauts, which are not any less racist uh, in their depictions of the Middle East and uh, the Mediterranean, but have bitchin' special effects from Ray Harryhausen, and that that makes them worthwhile despite uh, their problems. I would also recommend some of the better films from the Disney Renaissance, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, The Lion King, et al. And my final rating for this film, I've got to give it... Um, I mean, again, I'm not going to shelf it. That doesn't mean it's not enjoyable to watch. Uh, I'll give it uh, four wishes out of a possible six. Very, very well done. Thank you very much for that. Miss Alexander Bohannon, I'm asking you now, shelf or trash, else or instead? Guys, this is on my shelf now because I purchased it in order to watch it. That's the kicker about this Disney vault. Um, you should watch... Um, else with this film because I think it's shelfable to a point the racist point but whatever Um, you can watch The Little Mermaid because the starting place for the Disney Renaissance is powerful um, because there are no known voice no known actors in that film it's just voice actors which is really powerful Um, plus you know you have full force Ashman there then you could watch a little shop of horrors because that's one of his most well-known pieces then Tim Rice and it's wonderful yes it is feed me Seymour Um, you can also 
watch um, any Joseph and the Technicolor Guru Dreamcoat or Jesus Christ Superstar. So those are Rice's big ones. And then I would also, yeah, yeah. And then I would also recommend one that we haven't talked about, a Disney uh, Renaissance piece, Pocahontas. Also a racially problematic film. Also Mm -hmm. with really great music. So, um, and also like a, a kind of... Um, a woman kind of kept down by a more patriarchal stup- superstructure. Um, so, and a Disney film. So I would check out those as well. And I would give this 12 out of a possible 15 Sultan, that's Sultan Vile Betrayers to you. Thank you very much for that, uh, Miss Alexander Bohannon. What I'm going to say is trash. Although I also paid for the film because I didn't wanna, did not want to pay for $15 for the digital buy. The rental was not available, so I bought the Platinum Edition DVD-Blu-ray combo. I regret it terribly. Regret it terribly. Do not buy this movie. What else you should watch is the movie I made up in my head, which is the version of Argo that's all about the maid in the Canadian Ambassador's living room. Right. That is that is the uh, and, and you longtime listeners of the show will remember this. But the the story that follows her life and her journey and her choice not to rat them out. That is the movie you should watch, which does not yet exist. And frankly, I don't know a movie that does exist you should watch instead because most of Hollywood cinema and traditional cinema is far too problematic for my tastes. So I have a trash and a movie that doesn't exist. That's how bad I'm not keen on this movie. So there you go, dear listener. You've now heard our shelves and trashes, our ratings and whatnot. I guess I will give it a, um, I don't know, a four and a half phallic rubs of a genie's lamp out of a possible nine. All right, now you know all the things that we think about this movie. Let's move on to how you can be part of the conversation because you may love this movie, hate this movie, maybe now problematized by this film based on our analysis and don't know quite how you feel. And we'd like for you to register that feedback via social media. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you know anything about that social media by which those conversations could be held? Yeah, you find us on uh, Facebook.com. Facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. One word. Really, really one word? Well, that's correct. One word. <laughs> oh, good to know. Uh, we had some back and forth with Brigham about uh, the upcoming AMC series Preacher, um, which he and Dustin seemed really excited for. I'm so there. excited. There it is. Um, also, Shelby Parks, who is becoming a regular commenter on Facebook, uh, says that Wild Things is his favorite Denise Richards movies. <laughs> <laughs> his and every red-blooded American. Red-blooded male American. Shelby has the best feedback, regardless of whether or not I agree with it. Why did he say that? I'm not sure. I posted a uh, Woman Crush Wednesday about Denise Richards from Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was always more of a Disney man myself. Diz. Girl can throw down. Yeah, she can. I'm not mad about either one of them being in that movie. So there you go. I take either over Nev Campbell, I believe. Oh, shut your mouth. Shut your face. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> get out of here. Get out of here with that shit. <laughs> Nev Campbell's a goddess. <laughs> Whiny, emotional goddess. I'm going to slap the shit out of you, Arthur <laughs> And finally, in response to our posting of Starship Troopers, Rory Crittenden said, I'm from Buenos Aires, and I say kill them all. Uh, and so thank, thank you. Thank you, Roy. Yeah, that's great. And then we can go over to Google+. Plus. We had several comments about uh, how good Starship Troopers is, and so thank you for that feedback over on Google+. Plus. You can find us there, Google+. Plus. Email us. Good trash, genrecast at gmail.com. You can connect with us uh, there and on Facebook. There you go. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, I'm, I'm with bated breath waiting to hear what you have to say about other social media means by which conversations could be held. You can find the Good Trash Genrecast on Twitter at good underscore trash. I just like the bait and switch, Dustin. I like fucking with you. I like keeping you on your toes. Yeah, I know there's lots of quotes that I could have uh, turned into a long-winded monologues about Twitter. I know that's kind of a thing that I do, listener. I've been doing it for a while now. I like keeping Dustin on his toes, though. I hope you die in a fire. Go right ahead and give us some feedback. Okay, we've got a lot of feedback this week, but none of it matters. (laughs) Because there's one bit of feedback that surpasses all feedback that has ever been received by this show. Perfectly... By serendipity and chance, we happen to decide to talk about Starship Troopers on the 18th anniversary of its theatrical release. The show dropped literally on the day. 
or either on the day or the day before the 18th anniversary of Starship Troopers release. And on the anniversary of Starship Troopers release, Casper Van Dien was just going through Twitter, happening to interact with people who like Starship Troopers. Casper Van Dien is now following the Good Trash Genre cast on Twitter. He retweeted our link for the show. We should just fucking retire now because it's never going to get better than this. This is the best day of my life. I've never been happier. One more time, Casper Van Dien, now a follower of the Good Trash Genre cast on Twitter. At good <laughs> underscore trash. And now Dalton can tell him how much he dislikes his acting. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I did. T- I tweeted at him from the show. I thanked him. One, I said, holy crap, thanks for the follow, and thank you for being in one of the best sci-fi satires of the last 20 years, which he also liked. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Of course, you can give us additional feedback. GoodTrashDonorCast at gmail.com for your long-form stuff. Also, your Podbean site. You can give us comments there. And we'd love to hear more from you. Also, on Stitcher, Stitcher Internet Radio, any of those places, we'd like to keep the conversation going because that is nothing but fun. And speaking of fun, it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> That's right, dear listener. We are all fired up to be playing the game right now. And the game in question is our favorite Disney musicals. That's right. Our favorite Disney musical numbers brought to you by Aladdin. Aladdin. Chock full of racist Disney musical numbers. Also full of coffee. Thank you very much. <laughs> Mr. Dalton Stewart. And French fries. <laughs> what are your picks, sir? All right. Well, I want to start off with uh, Hercules, uh, which I feel like is one of the most undersung and underrated of the Disney Renaissance films. Amen. Uh, as somebody who was uh, really into Greek mythology as a kid, um, Hercules just, I loved it so much and is full of great numbers like the, the gospel. The I love that the Greek chorus is a gospel choir fucking yes. great it's so yes. cool but my favorite number is uh, go the distance which is just like i'm just oh man it's a rousing uh it's just a rousing musical not rousing no a not arousing rousing with an r whatever gets you going are uh, you sure brother i'm whatever sure whatever gets you going uh, it gets me pumped uh james uh woods has a, a, a number in there as hades that's really fun i don't know if he actually sang it but um that his hades number in there bobcat goldthwaite Fantastic director, wonderful person, uh, does one of the voices in that. Hercules is so underrated. Go the Distance is great. I also want to give a shout-out to Be Our Guest from Beauty and the Beast, which is so much fun. Uh, just just a pure delight. It really is. It's one of probably the most fun songs uh, in any single Disney musical. Uh, last but not least, uh, Hakuna Matata is... Uh, it means no worries for the rest of your days. What more do you want? Thank you, Nathan Lane. Uh, Nathan Lane is bay. God damn it. He's so great. That's it. That's all I have to say. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what are your picks? Uh, I would say that um, a couple of them come from Aladdin itself. I, I, I love One Jump Ahead and Prince Ali. They're just really fun. Mm-hmm. They got some really good jokes uh, throughout. Prince Ali is really funny. Yeah, it's just a real fun song, and so I enjoy those. I'd say Kiss the Girl from uh, Little Mermaid is good. Yes, indeed. I like uh, I like Kiss the Girl um, from Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast for me is probably the best of the Disney Renaissance uh, overall. I mean, total filmmaking, it's the best. And uh, something there uh, is a great song, uh, which is the montage sequence where they are identifying that they do like and care for each other uh, through the midpoint in the film. And so it's just a really good song. It's really well composed. I like it. Yeah. But the best Disney song, my favorite Disney song. Is Scar's villain song from The Lion King? Oh, Be prepared. Man. Be prepared is good. Which is a great, the song. greatest Boy Scout parody of all time. I love it. I, I love every moment of it. I love every note of it. It's, it's, does, it's uh, so fun. Does "Lovely Bunch of Coconuts" count? <laughs> Zazu's. Yeah, I, I think that song existed before the movie. No, Lovely Bunch of Coconuts. Or we could have seconded. What you want me to dress and drag and dance the hula? Hey. That's also a fun song. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love Be Prepared. It's so much fun. It's so good. Uh, Jeremy Irons kills it. The the whole the composition. I love the darker Jeremy tone. Irons. I love the darker tone. I love the way it's animated. I love the way it's put together and composed. And so, yeah, th- those would be my favorite Disney songs, Dustin. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what are your picks? 
Anyway, I, I'll go ahead and go ahead. The, the Lion King has a phenomenal soundtrack. Repeat. I, this is another one of those when I hit Blu-ray a couple of years ago. I bought it, watched it, and, and I'm like Aladdin. I was like, damn, this is a great movie with a phenomenal soundtrack. Uh, so I'll go ahead and throw out another Lion King pick. Uh, well, two Lion King picks real quick. Circle of Life and I Just Can't Wait to Be King. Both uh, those are just Can't Wait to Be King's good. Man, it's so much fun. Uh, moving on. Uh, Gaston and Beauty and the Beast. Man, that's a great villain piece. My hair role model. Uh, yeah, that's all I got, guys. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what are your picks? Um, I will pick from my two favorite um, Disney movies. Uh, Mulan and Pocahontas. Mulan's I'll Make a Man Out of You good is one. classic. Good one. Oh That's my gosh. that ah, So good. It's so good. That mo- Mulan's got some great songs. Mu- I sang Reflection for my second grade talent show. Yes, it was it was amazing. Um, then I s- mine 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 from Pocahontas. I guess the big baddies uh, number is a good one. Uh, Colors of the Wind is classic. Oh man, Pocahontas is so good, and Mel Gibson can kind of sing. And I do love uh, Little Mermaid, especially for poor unfor- unfortunate souls. I do love the bad guy numbers. And then why can we? Oh man. Ursula's song is so it good. It is amazing. It is so good. I and believe then, nobody can forget the importance of body language. Ha! Oh, yeah. So good. And then I'm, I would be remiss not to mention a cultural, a cultural touchstone for the past few years, Frozen. Frozen's music is good. Like, it is catchy. It is everything Disney musicals are supposed to do. Get in your head, live in there, and everyone sings that at you at karaoke. So, love is an open door. Let it go. All of them. So good. Yes. I I can talk for days about Disney songs, so, you know, talk to me about it. Thank you very much, Alex, for those those fantastic picks. Dustin, what are some of your favorite Disney musical numbers? Well, I'm going to name some of the earliest cinematic experiences of my life. Some of these are ones I, th- I, I bet some of the ones you're going to pick are ones I definitely thought about. Re-releases I saw very young, before age five, are, um, well, the High Ho song from um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Because it teaches children the importance of labor. <laughs> well, okay. I'm not saying it's not problematic. I'm just saying I liked it very much. Also, I Got No Strings from Pinocchio. Oh, yeah. Which was probably the first movie I ever saw in a theater. Which, uh, if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have the wonder that is James Spader in Avengers 2 saying, there are no strings on me, which is bitching. Pretty fun. Uh, moving on to the 70s. Not when I was alive, but nonetheless, um, songs I like very much. I have to talk about um, The Cat's Healing Cat. Um, Up the, here. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying, I love the Aristocats. And I had this like VHS sing-along video with a song on it. And it was fantastic, which leads me to Hakuna Matata before there was Hakuna Matata, which is Bare Necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. And uh, fantastic times. So there you go, dear listener. We'd love to hear your favorite Disney musical picks. Um, You've already heard about how to do that via social media. Let's move on and let's talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. That's right, dear listener. We are all kinds of fired up about all the things going on right now in popular culture. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, are you fired up this week? I recently walked down to my local record store, Guest Room Records. You should buy records. That's really cool and important for musicians. And I picked up Alt-J's 2013 release, An Awesome Wave, which um, Alt-J is... I don't really know indie rock, I guess, their uh, title, but they're really good, and you should check them out, and they've been living in my CD player for about the past week. And besides uh, that, in grad school, and uh, that's about all the things I can have energy for. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Caleb Masters, are you fired up also? Yeah, a couple of qu- uh, things real quick. I mentioned Fallout 4 next week. That comes out Tuesday. I'm fired up about it. You probably know about it if you know about it. So uh, November 9th, I'll be taking a day off to play. Cool. The uh, thing I'm more fired up that I think listeners are going to be less uh, less informed about is there is it was announced this week that Amy Pascal, a uh, well, you know, acclaimed producer in Hollywood, uh, greenlit an adaption for an ada- uh, for the story uh, for the memoir of one Zoe Quinn called Crash Override: How to Save the Internet from Itself titled Control-Alt-Delete. 
So uh, I, I'm just excited this is being talked about. This is a huge issue that's, that's existed in the gaming culture for a long time that has not was not addressed until said incident two years ago, and is still part of the conversation within the, the gaming realm today. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you share the fired upness that's already at this table? <clears throat> I'm a little fired up. Uh, I actually recently, uh, a few days ago, Aziz Ansari was on uh, the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and they discussed his upcoming Netflix original series, which I hadn't actually heard about. Uh, but it's called Masters of None, and it launched on November 6th. I love Aziz Ansari. He's a really funny guy. I really enjoy his stand-up. I really enjoy him. Uh, he's one of the shining lights on Parks and Rec. Uh, so, he's always, <clears throat> so he's always really cool. And so it's a really good show. There's 10 episodes on Netflix. And he's tackling some really cool stuff like relationships, racism, uh, racism in Hollywood. He's doing some really cool stuff. Uh, some of the acting is a little wooden uh, just because he got some inexperienced actors. Uh, but they, they have a charm. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking of his parents who show up, uh, his real-life parents. And so that's what I'm fired up this week. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you share the fired upness again that surrounds this table? I share the fire and I share it about Master of None. I, I love Aziz Ansari, I have for a long time, and I'm so glad he's he's getting a chance to be the star of his own show. Um, it's really prescient that tonight when we chose to talk about Aladdin and the racism uh, of people from you know South Asia, from the Middle East, from the Near East, from the Far East. Uh, because there is an entire episode of Master of None. Uh, I think it's episode four, which is entitled uh, Indians on TV. Uh, and it is about the racism that working actors of color face trying to make it in Hollywood as professional actors. It's great. It's it's absolutely funny. I also managed to catch up finally with Difficult People starring uh, Billy Eichner and Julie Klausner on uh, Hulu, uh, executive produced by Amy Poehler. Difficult People is freaking hysterical, guys. Oh, it's so funny. It's so good. Uh, and I, I've liked Julie Klausner for a while. Her podcast, How Was Your Week, is really good. And Billy Eichner, you'll remember as um, Craig on uh, Parks and Rec also. So uh, it's a great time to be a Parks and Rec alumni, uh, especially if you're uh, Billy Eichner and Aziz Ansari, and definitely double especially if you're Chris Pratt. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am not fired up this week. There's nothing going on in my life. I did have a birthday recently. And that may give cause for fired up upness because I believe my co-hosts have conspired against slash for me over the course of the last week. So, yeah, we got you something. Yeah, we yeah. did conspire. That never happens. And we think you're going to be excited about it. We don't actually have it with us. Yeah, because we're we not great it. friends. We're just good friends. Yeah, but it, we, is, it is literally in my living room. I just don't physically have it with me. We, uh, well, uh, this was Alex's idea. I'll let her tell you. Okay. We just hope you didn't, you know. Already pick it up or something. Yeah, Alex, tell them what we what we got him. We got you the Criterion Collection version of Mulholland Drive. You guys know me so well. On yeah, we do. yeah, we do. <laughs> oh my gosh, you yeah, guys do. are the best. We had a feeling you'd like that. Oh, I love you guys so much. Aww. Thank you very much. We're done. <laughs> I am super fired up about my new copy of the Criterion version of Mulholland Drive. And uh, you guys rock my and face now off. Now you can watch uh, Naomi Watts jamming herself while she cries uh, in HD. I can't tell you how happy that makes me. <laughs> <laughs> I literally cannot tell you. It's just not allowed. So uh, there you go, dear listener. We are all very, very fired up in popular culture. Next week's film, uh, we're going to be at episode number 150. Jesus that's, H. That's right. It's a milestone. And you know what? For milestone episodes, we got to do something that's important, something that's significant. And so we're going back to 1977. That's right, dear listener. We're looking at Star Wars a new hope with the original good trash movie luke skywalker was just a farm boy until he received a mysterious message from a princess help me obi-wan kenobi she's beautiful star wars starring mark hamill i'm luke skywalker i'm here to rescue you aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper harrison ford boring conversation anyway I think we took a wrong turn. Carrie Fisher. Good luck. Alec Guinness. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. 20th Century Fox presents the most extraordinary motion picture of all time, Star Wars. Here's where the fun begins. No 
legendary adventure of the past could be as exciting as this romance of the future. Here they come. May the Force be with you in Star Wars. So, dear listener, take a look at A New Hope. If you haven't seen it, I don't know how that's even possible. Take a look at Aladdin, I guess. Um, no, it's not bad. It, it's, it's in the King Kong category. But in the meantime, dear listener, as you watch films, no matter what film you watch, have a conversation with somebody you care about, about what it means, what's going on inside it, because that's what makes watching the movies really worthwhile. And until then, dear listener, we'll see you next time. I don't think you quite realize what you got here. So why don't you just ruminate whilst I illuminate the possibilities? Well, Alibaba had them 40 thieves. Sherry's out, he had a thousand tails. But master, you in luck, cause up your sleeves. You got a brand of magic never fails. You got some power in your corner now. Some heavy ammunition in your camp. You got some punch to dance. Job you and house, all you gotta do is rub that lamp. And I'll say, Mr. Alanza, what will your pleasure be? Let me take your order, jot it down. You ain't never had a friend like me. <laughs> Life is your restaurant, and I'm your melody. Come on, whisper what it is you want. You ain't never had a friend like me. Yes, sir, we pride ourselves on service. You're the boss, the king, the shah. Say what you wish, it's yours. True dish about a little more baklava. Have some of column A, try all of column B. I'm in the mood to help you, dude. You ain't never had a friend like me. Mama. No, no. Can your friends do this? Can your friends do that? Can your friends pull this? Out their little hat. Can your friends go? Hey, look at here. Can your friends go abracadabra? Disappear. Don't you sit there like your bogey hide. I'm here to answer all your big death threats. You got me both.